Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. The Long Hillside by Thomas Nelson Page. I There do not seem to be as many hares now as there used to be when I was a boy. Then the old fields and branch bottoms used to be full of them. They were peculiarly our game. I mean we used to consider that they belonged to us boys. They were rather scorned by the gentlemen, by which was meant the grown-up gentlemen, who shot partridges over the pointers, and only picked up a hare when she got in their way. And the negroes used to catch them in traps or gums, which were traps made of hollow gum-tree logs. But we boys were the hare hunters. They were our property from our childhood, just as much— we considered, as Bruno, and Don, the beautiful, crack, pointers, with their brown eyes and satiny ears and coats, were the gentlemen's. The Negroes used to set traps all the fall and winter, and we, with the natural tendency of boys to imitate whatever is wild and primitive, used to set traps also. To tell the truth, however, the hares appeared to have a way of going into the Negroes' traps, rather than into ours, and the former caught many to our one. Even now, after many years, I can remember the delight of the frosty mornings, the joy with which we used to peep through the little panes of the dormer windows at the white frost over the fields, which promised stronger chances of game being caught, the eagerness with which, oblivious of the cold, we sped through the garden, across the field, along the ditch banks, and up by the woods, making the round of our traps." The expectancy with which we peeped over the whitened weeds and through the bushes to catch a glimpse of the gums in some parf or at some clearly marked gap, our disappointment when we found the door standing open and the trigger set just as we had left it the morning before, our keen delight when the door was down, the dash for the trap, the scuffle to decide which should look in first, the peep at the brown ball screwed up back at the far end, the delicate operation of getting the hair out of the trap and the triumphant return home, holding up our spoil to be seen from afar. We were happier than we knew, so far to show how we came to regard hares as our natural game, and how, though to be bird hunters we had to grow up, we were hare hunters as boys. The rush, the cheers, the yells, the excitement were a part of the sport, to us boys the best part. Of course, to hunt hares we had to have dogs, at least boys must have, the noise, the dash, the chase are half the battle. And such dogs as ours were. It was not allowable to take bird dogs after hares. I say it was not allowable. I do not say it was not done, for sometimes, of course, the pointers would come, and we could not make them go back. But the hare dogs were the puppies and curs, terriers, watchdogs, and the nondescript crew which belonged to the Negroes, and to the plantation generally. What a pack they were. Thin, undersized black antans, or spotted beasts of doubtful breed called hounds, by courtesy, long-legged, sleepy watchdogs from the quarters, brindled or yaller, mongrels, which even courtesy could not term other than cured dogs, sharp-voiced, fisses, busier than bees, hunting like fury, as if they expected to find rats in every tuft of grass, and when the hares got up, bouncing and bobbing along, not much bigger than the molly cottontails, they were after, getting in everyone's way and receiving sticks and stones in profusion, 
but with their spirits unbroken. And all these were in one incongruous pack, growling, running, barking, ready to steal, fight, or hunt, whichever it happened to be. We used to have hunts on Saturdays, just we boys, with perhaps a black boy or two of our particular cronies, but the great hunt was, in the holidays, that is, about Christmas. Then all the young darkies about the place were free and ready for sport. This Christmas hunt was an event. 2. It was the year 186, and Christmas Day falling on a Sunday, Saturday was given as the first day of the holidays. It had been a fine fall, the cover was good, and old hares were plentiful. It had been determined some time before Christmas that we would have a big hare hunt on that day, and the boys, that is, the young darkies, came to the house from the quarters, prepared for the sport, and by the time breakfast was over they were waiting for us around the kitchen door. Breakfast was always late about Christmas time. Perhaps, the spare ribs and sausages and the jelly dripping through a blanket hung over the legs of an upturned table accounted for it, and on, this Christmas Eve it was ten by the tall clock in the corner of the dining room before we were through. When we came out, the merry darkies were waiting for us, grinning and showing their shining teeth, laughing and shouting and calling the dogs. They were not allowed to have guns, but our guns— long old single barrels handed down for at least two generations, had been carried out and cleaned, and they were handing them around, inspecting and aiming them with as much pride as if they had been brand new. There was only one exception to this rule, Uncle. Limpy Jack, so called because he had one leg shorter than the other, was allowed to have a gun. He was a sort of professional hunter about the place. No lord was ever prouder of a special privilege handed down in his family for generations. The other boys were armed with stout sticks and made much noise. Uncle Limpy Jack was in this respect also the only exception. He was grave as became a man, who was a hunter by business, and warned arter no foolishness. He allowed no one to touch his gun, which thus possessed a special value. He carried his powder in a gourd and his shot in an old rag. The pack of dogs I have described, fully recruited, were hanging around, growling and snarling, sneaking into the kitchen and being kicked out by Aunt Betty and her corps of varicolored assistants, largely augmented at the approach of Christmas with its cheer. The yelping of the mongrel pack, the shouts and whoops of the boys, and the laughter of the maids or men about the kitchen and backyard, all in their best clothes and in high spirits, were exhilarating, and with many whoops and much. Hollering! We climbed the yard fence, and disdaining a road, of course, set out down the hill across the field, taking long strides, each one bragging loudly of what he would do. Let me see, there were John and Andrew and Black Peter, and Bowlegged Saul, and Milkertim, and Billy, and Uncle Limpy Jack, and others now forgotten, and the three white boys, and the dogs, Old Rattler, and Old Nimrod, who had always been old by their names, and were regarded with reverence akin to fetish worship because they were popularly supposed to be able to trail a hare. It was a delusion, I am now satisfied, for I cannot recall that they ever trailed one certainly three feet. Then there were the guard dogs. Hector, brindled, bobtailed, and ugly, and Jerry, yellow, long-tailed, and mean. Then there was Jack, fat, stumpy, and ill-natured. There were the two pointers, Bruno and Don, the beauties and pride of the family, with a pedigree like a prince's, who, like us, were taking a holiday hunt, but unlike us, without permission. Rock, 
Uncle Limpy Jacks. Hi, dog. And then the two terriers snip and snap. We beat the banks of the spring ditch for form sake, though there was small chance of a hare there, because it was pasture and the banks were kept clean. Then we made for the old field beyond, the dogs spreading out and nosing around lazily, each on his own hook. Whether because of the noise we made and their seeking safety in flight, or because they were off, taking holiday, one, as the negroes claimed, no hares were found, and after a half hour our ardor was a little dampened. But we soon set to work in earnest and began to beat a little bottom lying between two hills, through which ran a ditch, thickly grown up with bushes and briars. The dead swamp grass was very heavy in the narrow little bottom along the sides, and was matted in tufts. The dogs were scattered, and prowling around singly or in couples, and only one of the pointers and Snip were really on the ditch. Snip showed signs of great industry, and went bobbing backward and forward through a patch of heavy matted grass. In any other dog this might have excited suspicion, even hope. There are, however, some dogs that are natural liars. Snip was one of them. Snip's failing was so well known that no attention was paid to him. He gave, indeed, a short bark, and bounced up two or three times like a trap ball, looking both ways at once. But this action only called down upon him universal derision. Just then, however, a small boy pointed over to the top of the hill calling, Look at yender! And shouts arose, Die as she go! Die as she go! Die as she go! Sure enough, there, just turning the hill, went a molly cotton, bouncing. In a second we were all in full chase and cry, shouting to each other, whooping, on the dogs, and running with all our might. We were so carried away by the excitement that not one of us even thought of the fact that she would come stealing back. No negro can resist the inclination to shout, Die as she go! And to run after a hare when one gets up, it is involuntary and irresistible. Even Uncle Limpy Jack came bobbing along for a while, shouting, Die as she go! at the top of his voice. But being soon distanced he called his dog, Rock, and went back to beat the ditch bank again. The enthusiasm of the chase carried us all into the piece of pine beyond the fence, where the pines were much too thick to see anything and where only an occasional glimpse of a dog running backward and forward, or an instinctive, Ow noun, from the hounds rewarded us. But, Molly is very sly, and while the dogs were chasing each other around the pines, she was tripping back down through the field to the place where we had started her. We were recalled by hearing an unexpected bang from the field behind us, and dashing out of the woods we found Uncle Limpy Jack holding up a hare, and with a face whose gravity might have done for that of fate. He was instantly surrounded by the entire throng, whom he regarded with superb disdain and spoke of as, You chillern. Gian, you chillin, where you is gwine, and Niki noise somewhere else, and keep out all my way. I want to get some hyas. He betrayed his pleasure only once, when, as he measured out the shot from an old rag into his seen palm, he said with a nod of his head, Why all can run o hyas, de old man shoots em. And as we started off we heard him muttering. We went back to the branch and began again to beat the bushes, Uncle Limpy Jack taking unquestioned the foremost place which had heretofore been held by us. Suddenly there was a movement, a sort of scamper, a rash, as something slipped out of the heavy grass at our feet and vanished in the thick briars of the ditch bank. D.Y.R. she go! 
arose from a dozen throats, and gone she was, in fact, safe in a thicket of briars which no dog nor negro could penetrate. The bushes were vigorously beaten, however, and all of us, except Uncle Limpy Jack and Nilkertim, crossed over to the far side of the ditch where the bottom widened, when suddenly she was discovered over on the same side, on the edge of the little valley. She had stolen out, the negroes declared, licking her paws to prevent leaving a scent, and finding the stretch of hillside too bare to get across, was stealing back to her covert again, going a little way and then squatting, then going a few steps and squatting again. Die as she go! Die as she go! resounded as usual. Bang, bang, snap, bang! went the four guns in quick succession, tearing up the grass anywhere from one to ten yards away from her. As if she had drawn their fire and was satisfied that she was safe, she turned and sped up the hill, the white tail bobbing derisively, followed by the dogs strung out in line. Of course, all of us had some good excuse for missing, Uncle Limpy Jack's being the only valid one, that his cap had snapped. He made much of this, complaining violently of, Dees here worthless caps! With a pin he set to work, and he had just picked the tube, ran painfully some grains of powder down in it, and put on another cap which he had first examined with great care to impress us. Now let old High get up, he said with a shake of his head. She got man ready for her, she ain't got you chillern. The words were scarcely spoken when a little darky called out. Die as she come! And sure enough she came, lipping, down a fro straight toward us. Uncle Limpy Jack was on that side of the ditch, and Milkerton was near him armed only with a stout well-balanced stick about two feet long. As the hare came down the hill, Uncle Jack brought up his gun, took a long aim and fired. The weeds and dust flew up off to one side of her, and she turned at right angles out of the fro. But as she got to the top of the bed, Milkerton, flinging back his arm, with the precision of a bushman, sent his stick whirling like a boomerang skimming along the ground after her. Tim with a yell rushed at her and picked her up, shouting, I got her! I got her! Then Uncle Limpy Jack pitched into him. What you doin' gettin' in my way? He complained angrily. Ain't you got no better sense than to get in my way like that? Did ain't you see how nigh I come to blowin' yo brains out? Did ain't you see I had to hire when you come poking your woolly black head in my way? Yef I had en flung my gun off, where do you a been now? Don you come poking in my way, Aegean. Tim was too much elated to be long affected by even this severity, and when he had got out of Uncle Jack's way he sang out. So far the honors were all Uncle Jack's and Milker Tim's, and it was necessary for the rest of us to do something. Accordingly, the bottom having been well hunted, the crowd struck out for an old field over the hill, known as the Long Hillside. It was thick in hen grass and broom straw and sloped down from a piece of pine with a southern exposure on which the sun shone warm. We had not reached it before a hare jumped out of a bush near Charlie. In a few moments, another bounced out before one of the dogs and went dashing across the field. Two shots followed her, but she kept until at last one of the boys secured her. We were going down the slope when Peter called in great excitement. Here old Haya set in in her haid. Come here, Dan, quick! G.I. me your gun! Let me get him. This was more than Dan bargained for, as he had not got one himself yet. He ran up quickly enough, but held on tightly to his gun. Where is he? Show him to me. I'll knock him over. As he would not give up the gun, 
Peter pointed out the game. See him? No. Right under dat bush, right dia. Pointing. See him? Tech kir dia don tech kir. He called, as Don came to a point just beyond. See him? He pointed a black finger with tremulous eagerness. No, Dan did not see, so he reluctantly yielded up the gun. Peter took aim long and laboriously, shut both eyes, pulled the trigger, and blazed away. There was a dash of white and brown, a yell, and Don wheeled around with his head between his forepaws stung by the shot as Molly fled streaking it over the hill followed only by the dogs. Peter's face was a study. If he had killed one of us he could not have looked more like a criminal, nor have heard more abuse. Uncle Limpy Jack poured out on him such a volume of vituperation and contempt that he was almost white, he was so ashy. Don was not permanently hurt, but one ear was pierced by several shot, which was a serious affair, as his beauty was one of his good points, and his presence on a hare hunt was wholly against the rules. Uncle Limpy Jack painted the terrors of the return home for Peter with a vividness so realistic that its painfulness pierced more breasts than Peter's. Don was carried to the nearest ditch, and the entire crowd devoted itself to doctoring his ear. It was decided that he should be taken to the quarters and kept out of sight during the Christmas, in the hope that his ear would heal. We all agreed not to say anything about it if not questioned. Uncle Limpy Jack had to be bribed into silence by a liberal present of shot and powder from us. But he finally consented. However, when met, in a wild endeavor to get a shot at a stray partridge which got up before us, missed the bird and let Uncle Limpy Jack, at fifty yards, have number six pellets in the neck and shoulder, Peter's delinquency was forgotten. The old man dropped his gun and yelled, Oh! Oh! at the top of his voice. Oh! I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. He lay down on the ground and rolled. Met was scared to death, and we were all seriously frightened. Limpy Jack himself may have thought he was really killed. He certainly made us think so. He would not let anyone look at the wound. Only a few of the shot had gone in, and he was not seriously injured, but he vowed that it was all done on purpose, and that he was going straight home and tell Marster a threat he was only prevented from executing by us all promising him the gold dollars which we should find in the toes of our stockings next morning. 3. So far the day had been rather a failure. The misfortunes had exceeded the sport, but as we reached the long hillside I have spoken of, the fun began. The hares were sunning themselves comfortably in their beds, and we had not gone more than two hundred yards before we had three up, and cutting straight down the hill before us. Bang, 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 went the guns. One hare was knocked over, and one boy also by the kick of his gun. The others were a sight chase, and every boy, man, and dog joined in it for dear life. Whoop, whoop. Die as she go. Die as she go. Here, here. Here, here. Here, here, here. Whoop, rattler. Whoop, nimrod. Here, snip. Here, here, Bruno. Here, here. Everyone was striving to get ahead. Both hares were picked up before reaching cover, one being caught by Bruno, who was magnificent in a chase. After many falls and failures by all of us, Saul flung himself on the other and gave a wild yell of triumph. The long hillside was full of hares. They bounced out of the hengrass, slipped from brush heaps, and were run down, 
or by their speed and agility escaped us all. The dogs got the frenzy and chased wildly, sometimes running over them and losing them through a clever double and dash. The old field rang with the chase until we turned our steps toward home to get ready for the fun after dark. We were crossing the pasture on our way home. The winter sunset sky was glowing like burnished steel. The tops of the great clump of oaks and hickories in which the house stood were all that we could see over the far hill. A thin line of bluish smoke went straight up in the quiet air. The dogs had gone on ahead. Even the two or three old watchdogs ran after the others, with their noses in air. The question of concealing Don and his ragged ears came up. It was necessary to catch him and keep him from the house. We started up the slope after him. As we climbed the hill we heard them. De got ol' higher now, come on, exclaimed one or two of the younger Negroes. But old Limpy Jack came to a halt, and turning his head to one side listened. Heish, dat I know ol' higher day re arter, day re arter marster's sheep, dat s what tis. He started off at a rapid gait. We did the same. Yep, yep. Ow, now, now. Air, air, air. Came their voices in full cry. We reached the top of the hill. Sure enough, there they were, the fat South Downs, tearing like mad across the field, the sound of their trampling reaching us, with the entire pack at their heels, the pointers well in the lead. Such a chase as we had trying to catch that pack of mischievous dogs. Finally, we got them in but not before the whole occurrence had been seen at the house. The shouts that were borne to us, as rescuers began to troop across the fields, drove our hearts down into our boots. The return to the house was widely different from the triumph of the outgoing in the morning. It was a dejected cortege that wended its toilsome way up the hill. Uncle Limpy Jack basely deserted us after getting the promise of our gold dollars, declaring that he Told dem boys dat huntin' ol' hyas warn no business for chillern. We knew that we had to. Face the condign. There was no maudlin sentiment in that region. Solomon was truly believed to have been the wisest of men, and at least one of his decrees was still acted on in that pious community. The black boys were shipped off to their mammies and I fear received their full share of. The condign. We were ushered solemnly into the house and were marched upstairs to meditate on our enormities. We could hear the debate going on below, and now and then a gentle voice took up the cause. Presently a slow step mounted the stair, and the door opened. It was a grave senior, owner of Don. We knew that we were gone. Boys, didn't you know better than that? Three culprits looked at each other sideways and remained speechless. We were trying to figure out which was the more politic answer. Now, this is Christmas. A time of peace and goodwill said met under his breath, but loud enough to be heard. Yes, and that s the reason I am going to appeal to you as to what should be done to you. Suppose you were in my place and I in yours, and you had told me never, never to take the pointers out to run hares, and I knew I was disobeying you, and yet I had done it deliberately, deliberately disobeyed you, what would you do? I confess that the case seemed hopeless. But met saved the day. I'll tell you what I de do, sir. What? I'd give you another chance. Hmm, ah, you are. It was, however, too much for him, and he first began to smile and then to laugh. Met also broke out into a laugh, knowing that he had caught him. So peace and goodwill were restored and Christmas really began. <laughs>